it's great to be here um, to tell you a little bit. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about um, research that we did, and that really chimes with the um, theme of today. It looks at uh, the research we did was on two strikes. One is very iconic, the Grunwick dispute. Many of you might have heard of it in the 1970s. And the second was another dispute by a group of South Asian women workers in 2005. And what it really helped us to do was to look at that period when the women's charter, working women's charter was drawn up the 70s, which was a, very, a decade of optimism. And Grunwick strike was this iconic moment which almost represented the hope, aspiration, the change of that decade and to see what's happened in 2005, 30 years from then, and to see how much of that hope, that um, optimism for change held out, and perhaps reflect on some of the commonalities in women's experience over that period of three decades, and also how far we have come. So um, just a little bit about why we did this research. So it was, um, there's a team of three, three of us, Ruth Pearson and Linda McDowell, and the starting point of this was this whole stereotype, this notion, this construction of the South Asian women in the UK as docile, as constrained to the domestic sphere, as apolitical. And so the original project was called Subverting Stereotypes. And it aimed to recover the voice of migrant women workers and their industrial militancy and how it's shaped the British labor movement. Something that I think a story that's missing, that's uh, a voice that's um, absent from the discourses around work, around mobilization. And so that's where this project started from. So a little bit, let me tell you a bit about the Grunwick strike itself. Um, so in 1970s, 1977, there was this photo processing plant in uh, North London. And over a period of time, um, the workforce was gradually replaced by uh, predominantly uh, South Asian workers. And certain sections of the uh, plant, uh, was, were, were the workers were predominantly women. And um, the Grunwick strike uh, started in the summer of uh, 1977. No, 76. 77, sorry. Um, 77. And it was about um, the conditions at work. And so the women workers who were um, in this particular part of the factory, the, it was a photo processing plant. So if, if you remember, some of you might, um, the holiday snaps that uh, people took and then put in an envelope and sent off. And, it, it, and these workers were the ones who had to process those snaps, put them back in the envelope. So in the summer period, when there was a lot of pressure on the factory, the pressure was primarily felt by the uh, sections which processed and sent off the um, snaps, and that was the women workers who were in this section. And over time, particularly, was imposed at very short notice on the women workers. So at 5 o'clock, they'd be told that they had to stay back and work till 8 o'clock that evening. And for women workers who had their second shift to do at home, this was impossible. So this strike is particularly remembered. You can see in that photo there, Jayabin Desai. She walked out one day because she couldn't take this managerial control anymore. And in those days, um, they joined the union after they walked out. And in a few days later, several others of the workforce walked out. And it was almost a year they were on the picket line. And it was a very low profile strike for the first several months. And then the wider trade movement took up their cause. And this strike remembered because of the mobilization of black and white workers, workers, students, 
different sectors and across the country who came out in support of the strike. And so sometime, about a year after the strike, there were these mass pickets when, um, when workers gathered from across the country and in tiny streets of North London, there were, on some days, there were 20,000 workers and supporters. And so it, it was an iconic moment when you, uh, workers across the country took up the cause of minority women workers, which had not happened so far. And if you think of it, this was in the 70s, when um, in 74, for example, there was a strike at Imperial typewriters in Leicester, where the trade, uh, where the workers, were, the South Asian workers, were protesting against uh, lack of promotions, differential wages, and their trade union didn't support them. And the trade union connived with the white workers to hold the wages down. So this was a context. That was the decade in which Grunwick took place. So it was quite a significant moment of the workers coming together. And that's the picture of Jaya Bin Desai, who was the, the face of the protest, as it were. And there were several attempts at mediation through the ACAST. The Skarman Committee report recommended that the workers should be reinstated, union recognition should be granted. Uh, but um, with support from a right-wing organization, the uh, company refused to give in. And eventually, the trade union withdrew from the mass protests. And this last picture is of four of the strikers, Jayabin Desai and three others, on a hunger strike outside the TUC headquarters. So the trade union bureaucracy did not want to continue with mass protests. And the strike ended in, um, in 78, actually. That should say 77. In the summer of 78. Um, and the workers were bitterly disappointed with their own trade union. They felt quite let down. And in many ways, the militancy of the workers, was the bureaucracy didn't quite match that. And, but interestingly, it was a defeat, but it's remembered as a victory. It's celebrated because of that mobilization. And I just want to, so that's Jayabin Desai. Um, and the second strike, which took place in 2005, took place in very different conditions. So if you think of it, over those three decades, there had been several changes in the labor market, um, several changes in the regulations as well. So several key corporate functions had been outsourced. But some of the migrant women workers that we were talking about, they continued to remain in low-paid jobs. The, the Gujarati women who took part in Grunwick managed to regain their middle-class position. They were migrants, twice migrants from East Africa. But there were other groups of migrant workers who remained in very low-paid, low-status jobs. And during this period, there were lots of mobilizations by South Asian women workers. The labor market had changed quite significantly. And in 2005, British, the second strike took place at uh, Gate Gourmet, which produced food for um, airlines. And a few years earlier, British Airways had outsourced the production of in-flight meals. And again, in this factory, these women workers who were at the forefront of the strike were in the section of the factory which, which packed the food if it, when you're on the plane the food that you get. And so once the outsourcing happened, they reported a pressure. So the, they used to go back to the previous. So there were all these conveyor belts, and they had to put food on it. And they reported how the speed of the belts increased. There were three women packing the food, and they were told to work with two. Um, also, they used to work in very low temperatures. So they talked about how their bones used to ache. And they had breaks where they could go and have a cup of tea and warm up. And again, those breaks were reduced. They were told they could do without the breaks. They had to come and change into their clothes in, uh, in which they could pack the food. They were told that had to happen in their own time. 
and the clock they were clogged at the moment when they went to the conveyor belt so there are lots of changes and the women resisted the change these changes sometimes with but often without the support of their union who were uh, negotiating with the employers seeing the outsourcing as inevitable seeing these changes as inevitable so the union was interested in negotiating and the women often refused to go along with that and so one day they came to work and they found that um, in their place they went for a tea break in the morning they came back and they found there were some agency workers who were working where they should have been working so in protest they went to the canteen which is what they often did and while they were in the canteen it was announced from the megaphone that if they didn't come back to work straight away they'd be sacked and after three warnings they were sacked right then and by next day 700 workers in total were sacked and in this strike as well over um, the next few weeks the union negotiated an agreement a compromise agreement according to which some workers would be taken back but a, a substantial minority uh, would be offered compulsory redundancy and some of them voluntary and they'd be taken back on the new terms and conditions which meant um, less over overtime and all the changes that the company had wanted would come through and so some of the workers refused uh, the redundancy agreement and 56 of them and this was a lot of money for them i'm talking about between 5 to 10000 pounds they refused that money because they they felt it was a matter of justice and accepting that money would mean they'd have to be silenced and so they refused that money and tried to uh, continue their resistance and unfortunately it just fizzled out so for them the consequences were quite significant and they've struggled to find work because they were labeled as the troublemakers so as soon as anyone knew they were the grunt the gate gourmet workers looking for work they they couldn't it was very hard for them to find any subsequent work what is interesting how much time do i have okay so some of the commonalities what was striking for um, us was some of the commonalities and this is 30 years we're looking at a very very different periods so both in both cases the workforce there was very gendered and racialized construction of the worker which shaped the way the workforce um, was populated so in both granvik and gategome over a period of time the workforce changed to predominantly south asian women workers and that could you could say that of other groups of migrant workers because of particular ideas about a good worker so as a woman in terms of being docile perhaps willing to accept a lower pay and that of course bit bit back because they were didn't quite prove to be as docile as they were expected to be also um you mentioned gendered labor regimes and that was evident in both those uh, places so for example if you looked at the labor process itself the whenever changes happened in both the workplaces the biggest pressure was on women workers because they were, their work was constructed as unskilled and therefore uh, the pressure to speed up the work to reduce the number of workers and carry on was particularly felt by women workers which is why in both those cases the women workers were the most militant and in in the strikes because they had the most to lose from the changes that were happening at work and again the managerial control in both the places across three decades was exercised in very gendered ways so in in granvik for example the women talked about how um the managers used to call them into this glass cabin and tell them off in front of other workers so humiliation again that they talked about how their toilet uh, visits were timed um 
the overtime was a big issue and it was a gendered issue for women. And in Gate Gourmet as well, the exactly same issues came up again. So in Gate Gourmet, the women talked about how their visits to the toilet was timed and one woman talked about how she was questioned in front of a group of male managers about why she took so long to go to the, when she went to the toilet. And, um, she, and she just said, she didn't know what to say, and they kept asking her again and again, why, why? And eventually she burst out because I had to change my pad. And she talked about how, in many ways, this control, managerial control, and backlash at the resistance that the workers were putting to these changes happened in very gendered ways. And so that is sometimes, I think that's a common feature across time. And in many ways, again, in both those cases, the women were pitted against the trade union bureaucracy. So though so much has changed, I think there is something that was common that surprised us as well. Um, in many cases, and in the case of Gate Gourmet, for example, um, when the women resisted those changes, they were constructed. And there are some speeches by trade union leaders as naive because in the, in the context of changes in industrial relations, in the legislation, there act of going to the canteen to protest, their, their expectation that they would win this struggle was seen as naive. Their, it, their walkout, their un, um, um, official strike action was seen as a very naive stand. Um, but the prison officers, when they did that, it was seen as a very principled, principled opposition. And, and they were seen as uh, unconstrained by bureaucracy, by trade union bureaucracy, and acting on principles. So I think there's some there's some commonalities there. And to think about us, where we are here, in terms of thinking of the Working Women's Charter, I think some issues um, uh, to think about. Uh, I suppose the trade unions made huge progress since Grunwick, and that was um, in terms of recognizing issues of race, recognizing issues of gender. But if you look at their, their special groupings within trade unions, but if you look at the groupings which, are, um, which address diversity, they're predominantly men, minority men workers or groupings which address uh, women's issues are prim primarily white women. So in terms of coming together of the issue of gender and race, there, I think there's still a long way to go. Um, and there's also new challenges with subcontracting, the zero-hour contract brings, because in, in Greater London, at least, there's a whole, there's a very migrant division of labor, and and that's gendered as well. So in the in in the context of subcontracting, especially care work, um, women and migrant women are particularly affected by the low wages. They're struggling to do two or three jobs, and I found the women I talked to um, and managing home, I'm almost done. And again, I think something to think about is there are new constraints on collective action. And with the whole individualization of the of protest, of grievances through trade, uh, instead of through collective solidarity action, and some of it's to do with the legislation, it's through individual cases at the employment tribunal and in the context of legal aid cuts. I think there's a lot to think about in terms of how, how we resist these changes and what, what are the limited mechanisms of resistance and th these, these means seem to be shrinking over a period of time. Yeah? And on a positive note, I just want to uh, show, oops, yeah. Uh, at the end of this research, we also felt that if we're thinking of action and where do we go from here, I suppose we need to reach out to young people, to children, and in engage them in these struggles. 
And what we did at the end of this project was produce a comic based on the life stories of the women and created some resources for school children. And so I think that has to be also a big part of it, how we take this forward to a wider audience of future workers. Thank you.